Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't let them Star Wars, those dear and Star Wars, talking about Star Wars on the podcast. Hello and welcome to Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly and my guest today is the biggest Constable Zuvio fan in the galaxy. And if you don't know who Constable Zuvio is, you haven't spent enough time in the toy aisle lately. Please welcome Mr. Aaron Bias. How are you, Aaron? I am doing well, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for being on the show. We talked about this for a couple months now, and you've got to explain for our listeners that little joke. Who is Constable Zuvio? Because some people honestly might not know. They probably shouldn't know. I'm not sure that I know. He's, <laughs> uh, he's a character, uh, we all, all of us who actually like started looking at the action figures who weren't afraid it would spoil everything, I think, uh, began to notice Constable Zuvio. He seems to be one of the biggest uh, peg warmers of the first wave of Force Awakens action figures. He's just kind of an alien dude with a big hat. Um, <laughs> and I have no idea who Constable Zuvio is because he seems to have been cut from the film. I think he appears... For seconds in the background when Ray is uh, chasing Finn, I think. Mm-hmm. He did make a, a very lengthy appearance in a comedy YouTube project, uh, the Conjectural Star Wars Holiday Special, um, <laughs> where they made him the main focus of half of the jokes, and that was about it. I can't remember the exact name for, of that, but look it up on YouTube. It was really funny. I'll, I'll have to check that out. And I'll, maybe I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, I mean, they made a regular three and three quarter inch figure, mm-hmm. and then I saw that they made a Black Series six inch figure. Now they only make a couple of those. <laughs> like those are reserved for like the major characters or the guys they really want to market. And right. he was included with like the set, so I was like, oh god, this guy must be really important. Lucasfilm like released like a series of like four e-books, like e-short stories, all written by Landry Q. Walker, and one of them was about Constable Zuvio. I'm like, who is this guy going to be? I've watched this movie seven times and I've never seen him. Wow. But like the story of who he was supposed to be, for any listeners who have no idea who we're talking about, this character was supposed to be sort of the the town marshal of Nima Outpost, which is the junk spot on Jakku where Ray right. like brings her wares and tries to sell them to that Unkar Pluck guy. And mm-hmm. This Zuvio guy is like the town, basically like the one member of law enforcement in the whole region, and supposedly uncorruptible. He's actually a good, honorable guy, despite the fact that he looks um, awful. <laughs> he's the Marshal Dillon for their uh, Dodge City, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why they cut him, I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, on on the similar note, Aaron and I are going to be talking about new characters introduced in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. And after we give our overview of the whole group, we're going to rank our top five. But before that, the question for all of my guests when they appear for the first time. Aaron, how did you become a Star Wars fan? Well, uh, sometime in the summer of 1977, I'm not going to say it was May because I doubt it. Uh, We lived in a suburb of Huntington, West Virginia, so the film probably didn't reach us till June or July. But sometime in the summer, I was five years old. My parents went to see Star Wars with my mother's parents, my grandparents, and they came back and said, you'd probably like this movie. 
So uh, I think the next weekend, my mom and dad took me to see Star Wars. Uh, we went downtown to the Keith Albee Theater uh, and saw Star Wars. And it just, you know, rocked my world. It blew my mind. And in no time, my bedroom walls were hung with the four posters given away by Burger Chef. <laughs> oh, I just got a set of those for Christmas, a new set of those. So nice. Yay. And I think I was drawing Star Wars all the time. And, uh, you know, we had to wait till after 1978 to get the action figures. Uh, but I did get those for Christmas when they finally became available. And I, I just remember eating and breathing Star Wars all the time as a little kid. And, of course, by the time I was in high school, Star Wars was kind of out of favor. I mean, this was the late 80s, early 90s. Sure. But, you know, I kept watching it. And then in college, I got somebody to record the laser disc widescreen onto a videotape for me. Uh, and I kept that for years. And then the box set of the widescreen, which I think is the last time it came out in its original cut, the widescreen video. I have the videotapes of the widescreen release <laughs> from Lucasfilm around here. Um and I would just watch it. Sometimes I would have like a six-hour, like, sit down and watch Star Wars kind of thing. I started picking up the older merchandise and uh, when I was in college, so I started getting a hold of all the... Uh, there was a little boom in the 90s. Before, it was a couple of years before the re-release, it started. But when the re-release came, it was everywhere. Yeah. But I picked up, like, reprints of the Brian Daly Han Solo novels and the Lando Calrissian novels and all that stuff. But that's a much longer, bigger story. So, yes, basically, how did I come by it? I was just in the right place at the right time. As Rob Kelly described it, sort of first generation. You were there from the beginning. I was there from the beginning. Not that that's like, you know, bragging rights or anything. Although, I find it weird uh, that there's a whole generation of people out there who that's uh, incomprehensible to them. That they, you know, didn't ever see it first run. Or that uh, their first Star Wars was like the prequels or the special editions or something that that kind of i understand it but it makes my head hurt in some sort of way hey i'm i'm envious of you the only one that i was able to see in the theater was return of the jedi you know you, you still got street cred with me that's that's fine <laughs> good because that's really all i'm going for <laughs> that's a good uh that's a good place to move on listeners it is time for star wars current events this is the part of the show where my guest and I talk about something new in the realm of Star Wars movies, comics, books, or theme parks, for all we know. Now, potential spoiler warning, the subject for this current events segment is the upcoming film Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. If you don't want to hear this part, skip this segment. There isn't a whole lot of concrete information about the movie yet, so our talk will be largely speculative, I think. But if that's still too much and you don't want to hear anything, skip this part of the show. I've got the start times for each section listed in the show notes for each episode. You can just fast forward to a safe point. Okay, if you're still here, the next Star Wars movie, which comes out this December, is titled Rogue One. It is the first of Disney's planned standalone films set in the same continuity as the movies, but not tied directly to the story of our main characters. I think a lot of people heard the name Rogue One and assumed it was connected to Rogue Squadron, which was the group of rebel snowspeeders that Luke Skywalker commanded in Empire Strikes Back, and was later fleshed out to be the elite X-Wing fighter group led by Wedge Antilles in the old Expanded Universe novels and comics. The thing is, that does not seem to be what this movie is about at all. The plot as we know it for Rogue One centers on a group of rebel operatives who steal the planes for the first Death Star. This movie will take place right before the original Star Wars film A New Hope, and presumably lead into that film with the planes somehow getting to Princess Leia's ship. 
the last thing that I heard about the story for the movie is that Mads Mikkelsen, who plays Hannibal Lecter in the TV series Hannibal, and he was also a Bond villain in Casino Royale, Mikkelsen is supposedly playing the chief scientist or engineer behind the Death Star, but when he realizes what his invention will be used for, he has a change of heart and enlists his daughter, played by Felicity Jones, to help smuggle the technical aspects to the Rebel Alliance. At the time of this recording, we haven't gotten a teaser trailer for it, though I am expecting it to drop in the next couple of weeks to coincide either with the video release of The Force Awakens, or maybe so it can be attached to Batman vs. Superman. Aaron, do you have any thoughts about Rogue One, a Star Wars story? None at all. No, actually, <laughs> uh, I do. The thing about first of all, uh, Mads Mikkelsen, he had to be villainous in some way. <laughs> That man, and maybe it's just because I'm so familiar with him from Hannibal. I, I saw Casino Royale also, but he is terrifying when he wants to be, and in a very reserved sort of way. He's fantastic. Uh, I don't really know off the top of my head. I know I've looked at the cast list, but I can't remember anybody else. I, I know uh, Felicity Jones is in there, but that's about it. I can't remember anything about the rest of the people. Rogue One, I'm interested but I'm not excited. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because we're getting into territory where it's kind of like with the, the I think I think it's just because of the prequels. I think the prequels have made me leery of anything that overly fleshes out characters that we already know or situations we already know from the perspective of what happened before the thing you saw. Mm-hmm. They're showing you how the sausage is made and that's not necessarily as good a story as the sausage. I completely agree with that, and I had sort of the same exact logic behind it. It was, It's because it, it takes place before Star Wars, but to me, Star Wars is the perfect starting spot. It begins when the action needs to begin. I don't need to know how the Rebels got the plans, I just need to know that they had them and Darth Vader was pissed about it, and he's going after them. The fact that it is a prequel, it's telling a part of the story, it's like, well, okay, we kind of know how it, this is going to play out. Now, the cast is mostly brand new. I am under the impression that Darth Vader will be in this movie. Now, some people are like 100% sure that he's going to be the main bad guy, and I don't know about that, mm. but I, I have a feeling he will be a substantive part. For anything else, I mean, they want to be able to market this movie, and putting Darth Vader's face on it is going to be a nice way to market it. I agree. I mean, they, they released Darth Vader figures with the Force Awakens action figure batches. <laughs> right. But getting back to Mads Mikkelsen, he's just—he's magnetic. He is—he is like uh, a, steen, a scene-stealing guy, and uh, I am I, interested to see what they're going to do with him in this. He, he adds a touch of class in a way, kind of like Peter Cushing. He's got that same dignified European, sharp as a knife kind of look. Mm-hmm. And I think, from the sounds of this plot, like if the little bit of the plot synopsis I've heard is correct. It mm-hmm. seems like they're putting him in a sort of Robert Oppenheimer type of role. Right. Where he's the man behind the doomsday weapon, and when he sees, it's like, I am become death. You know, he has that thing where he's basically it, like, this is a total mistake. And maybe maybe part of the story will be a sort of redemption arc for him. Mm-hmm. It's also I, possible he's only in the first ten minutes, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's an interesting take, but I have to say... I, I, you know, and maybe maybe it wasn't called Death Star when they hired him <laughs> for the project. There's not a lot of things, you know, with the Manhattan Project. The thing is, as far as these guys knew, they were trying to figure out how to split an atom to unleash an enormous amount of energy. 
And we all know that has an obvious civilian application. Right. It's called a nuclear power plant. Right. The Death Star is, I mean, maybe, I don't know, Was we'll have to see how it unfolds. Is he like the guy who designs whatever powers that super weapon? Because, you know, if you're like the guy who's helping them figure out how to make this moon-sized space station that travels around and it's just a mobile gun platform, how confused can you be about what they're going to do with it? They're going to have a scene with him and Tarkin where he's like, okay, so this is how you build a laser that can destroy a whole planet and billions of people. Now, you're never going to use this thing, right? And Tarkin's like, no, right. no, of course not. He's like, okay, then I'll tell oh. you how to do it. But I, I got your promise now. You're not going to use it, right? No, no, no. It's just for bluffing. Exactly. We're just going to use it for bluffing. Exactly. So. Once we once we roll out with this, no one will ever, ever, uh, ever say no. Yeah. From what I've heard, sort of just general descriptions of the movie, it's it's going to have aspects of a war movie. It might have aspects of a heist movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, but again, I'm the same way. I, I, I think it could be a really, really cool, different type of Star Wars movie that we haven't seen, but I'm just in this mood where I'm like, no, take me forward. Like, I'm, I'm still high off of The Force Awakens. Show me something that I haven't seen before. This feels like backtracking. So, yeah, I'm at that same place, uh, basically the first thing that you said. I'm interested in this movie, but I don't feel like I can get excited yet. Right. The, the rough idea... You know, you've got this group of commandos, and they're going to go take the plans for the super weapon, and it's a, a plot with an inside guy, uh, etc. You know, it could go into like uh, really good, like uh, say Alistair McLean territory, mm-hmm. like uh, Where Eagles Dare or Guns and Navarone or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. You know, the whole like back and forth intrigue and the thing. It has potential for something like that, and that is not. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever played uh, one of the Star Wars role-playing games, but, I mean, that's the sort of thing I always kind of look to for source material, for inspiration for, like, uh, a plot would be, like, Where Eagles Dare or mm-hmm. something. The idea that you have to break into this fortress and you've got, you know, back and forth and you don't know who to trust and so on. That's that's kind of a natural for a Star Wars story. That's kind of the bare bones of the whole Death Star sequence in, in the original film. Sure, so. yeah, yeah. Of course, the thing that also, I'm not a, a super big hardcore expanded universe guy, but uh, I can't tell you how many times I stole the Death Star plans personally <laughs> playing Dark Forces. So to have them tell me that's not what happened is a little disappointing, but I'll live with it. You know what? I'm just hoping that somehow the story lines up with Princess Leia's sort of prologue from the original radio drama. Yeah. Like, if you yeah. ever listen to that, like, the like her first couple chapters was all about how she fell in with the rebellion and the stealing of the plans. I, I hope they make a connection to that somehow. But. That would be wonderful because I think that should still be considered canon. I enjoy that. Uh, I just got it for Christmas, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been enjoying that a lot. Although it is funny, you know, when you listen to it, and there's all of that Luke Skywalker on Tatooine hanging out at Tashi Station with his loser friends, and you think, yeah, I see why this was cut from the film. <laughs> this this is just really going nowhere. Like Luke, it's just yeah, <laughs> all over the place. You didn't want your hero to be called Wormy by his friends? Wormy. Yes, Wormy. And uh, Fixer. Fixer, obviously. I, I feel like Fixer probably like is just going to drink himself to death slowly in that little workshop <laughs> if he doesn't smack into a wall. All right, folks. Well, we are going to take a short promo break right now. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the new Star Warriors introduced in The Force Awakens. Don't go away. Why do you think superheroes are so important? 
people need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile, let's go. Up, up, and away! Atomic batteries to turbines to speed. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. We're back and we're talking about the new characters introduced in Star Wars The Force Awakens. We're going to go over them together so that when we're done, we can rank our top five. Now, I've only got nine characters on my list, but the thing about Star Wars fandom is that every character has a name and an intricate backstory. If you saw some weird alien on screen for a fraction of a second, someone over at Lucasfilm or Hasbro has created an identity for that weirdo. A lot of these names can be found at StarWars.com or the Wikipedia or the reference material that came out with the movie, like the Force Awakens Visual Dictionary. They list all the creatures and droids on Jakku in the Resistance headquarters in Maz Kanata's castle at the Starkiller base. Pretty much everybody. But I'm going to stick with the big nine. But Aaron, if there are more that you'd like to mention, feel free to do that. Sure. So, uh, so let's start off with the character who I think became the face of this movie for all intents and purposes in terms of the merchandising, our new big villain, Kylo Ren. When we meet Kylo Ren, it's obvious that he's supposed to evoke a lot of the same feelings as Darth Vader. He's on a mission to collect something. He's dressed all in black. He's got a mask that disguises his face and makes his voice a little bit metallic. He's got the red lightsaber. Obviously powerful in the dark side of the Force. But... How much is he like Darth Vader? Well, uh, Kylo Ren is uh, sort of uh, sort of a Darth Vader fanboy. <laughs> uh, you know, he wants to dress like Darth Vader and uh, walk the walk. He's got the whole thing going down. But Darth Vader is cold, calculating. He's filled with rage, but he's very disciplined. And Kylo Ren is nothing but teenage angst and pure explosive id. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I found that very interesting and refreshing because, as you said, he was the face of the marketing. It was very much, see, we've got a Darth Vader-like guy. And that could have been disastrous. You know, a lot of people criticize The Force Awakens for being too much like Star Wars, the original film. And, you know, if you just cookie-cutter another Darth Vader, then that's that's miserable. And he's not that at all. I think, uh, you know, the other day I was listening to a uh, to the Dana Gould Hour podcast, 
And I think it was Dana Gould. It was either him or one of his guests. Somebody put forward the idea that, you know, whereas Darth Vader is menacing and scary, he's classically scary. He's just the big, terrifying space samurai, Mm -hmm. you know. The thing about Kylo Ren is he's scary to you in a way that's scary now because he is, in a way, kind of an embodiment of that anxiety of what are our kids doing? You know, we're seeing things all the, all the time where people, the everyday people that you've known have uh, have somehow become radicalized mm-hmm. and uh, and they're committing acts of terror. They've slipped, you know, next thing you know, your your kid that you thought you knew has, has joined a terrorist organization right. and done something crazy. And that's kind of what we have with Kylo Ren. You know, he, he has good parents. He's brought up with the Alliance, the, the Republic. And then somehow, I assume it has something to do with Snoke, he's been persuaded to turn his back on all of that and join this other group thinking he's part of some righteous cause. And, uh, and I think that touches a chord in 21st century America. Absolutely. He's, he, he, you got it exactly right. He's like this radical religious convert mm-hmm. um, and believes it like with the power of a zealot, which is really scary and really dangerous. Darth Vader, you knew that he was evil and you knew that he was, he was scary and he had that rage, but it seemed like his emotions were just – they were either frozen or they were just burned off him in whatever – horrible disaster just you know put him in that suit it was like he was this mechanical man like he had no emotions except like so that when darth vader got mad and had to kill somebody he didn't raise his voice he didn't lose (laughs) his composure he had no composure to lose but he just lifted his hand and somebody choked and that's what i expected to see out of kylo ren so like in the first scene when somebody goes and tells him it's like hey uh the droid we were after we lost it it got away and he takes out his lightsaber, and you're like, oh, he's going to chop that guy up. No, he just goes to town and wrecks up a room, and he does it all the time. He does it a couple times. He just trashes places. It's like he's throwing a tantrum like a kid. This is great. We've never seen a Star Wars villain like this. And he does it so frequently that his co-workers know that it's time to just scoot the other way. <laughs> yes. The yes. two stormtroopers are just like, oh, he's at it again. Let's stay out of the way. And <laughs> yeah. they just shuffle off. Uh, yeah, I know he's he's great. He he is. I am impressed because he could have been just so boring. And in his juvenile, angry emo boy way, he's he's very refreshing because he's not the same thing we've seen again. He's not he's not Count Dooku just you know cashing exactly. his paycheck. He's 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 frightening. Exactly, and that's what I was expecting. I mean, after Darth Vader, after Darth Maul, after Count Dooku, after everything with the prequels, I was like. It's another bad guy with a red lightsaber. I was like, I don't care. I didn't. I had no expectations for this character. I was really not looking forward to him. I was like, give me something different that I haven't seen. And then I watched. It. I was like, okay, this is something different that I haven't seen. But it, it looks familiar. But it's really different. So, yeah, he he blew me away. Probably the biggest surprise for me in the movie, maybe his character. You mentioned his like religious fervor, his uh, his uh, his commitment that he's he's totally just bought in hook, line, and sinker what he's mm-hmm. been told. And I mean, even when he's when he's going to interrogate Ray and he talks to her about like you know how does it feel to know all your friends are liars and murderers and blah blah blah. You know, he just assumes that like these people are evil and that she knows it. And you know, it's a it's it's very much like have you looked at what you're wearing? Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen? the guys you work with did you, did you see a pattern here that you know maybe you're the baddies maybe 
Just think about it. If nothing else, the best thing that Kylo Ren gave us is the Twitter account for Emo Kylo Ren. If anybody is listening to this and hasn't followed Emo Kylo Ren on Twitter, it's the best thing you can do in your life is just read his tweets. He is so. uh, he is fantastic. He and uh, uh, Lonely Luke Skywalker Lonely Luke also. Skywalker. Yeah. All right, moving on. The first face we saw of the movie from the original <clears throat> teaser that came out 13 months before the movie came out. Finn, also known as Stormtrooper FN two one eight seven. You're you're uh, you're insufferably proud that you called that, aren't you? Oh yeah, I, I totally am. <laughs> I'm, I'm milking that every time. So we have this character Finn begins the movie as a stormtrooper. Seems like he's just another one of the faceless crowd, but he has this moment when he witnesses the death and the pointless slaughter of an unarmed village. He has this sort of catharsis where he can't do it. He doesn't want to kill, so. He springs the resistance captive and makes his escape, and now he's he's not trying to he's not defecting, he's not trying to be a hero, he's just trying to escape. But it seems like Destiny has other ideas for him. So what did you think for about Finn? I, I like Finn. Finn is incredibly likable. Mm. Uh, John Boyega is charming as Finn. He's somebody relatable. You know, we, we all like to think we would want to do the right thing. And on some level, he does want to do the right thing. But, you know, as far as he's concerned, doing the right thing, it's sufficient for him to just not do the wrong thing anymore. <laughs> Uh, he, he's not he's not Luke Skywalker jumping feet first into the grand cause. He just wants to get away from this conflict that he was raised to be part of. He raises all kinds of questions with me as far as why is he not going for it? They've all clearly been conditioned since early childhood to do this job. Is it part of his conditioning? Is he Force-sensitive and we don't know it yet? I mean, there are indications, little tweaks that show that he might have a little bit of the Force. Mm. I don't know. And, of course, that's all overshadowed by Ray. You'll never know uh, right, right. in that first movie because that's the whole thing. Is, is, is It's Ray's story, really. But Finn, I, I do think it's great that, you know, whereas Luke is the starry-eyed dreamer who gets his chance to go and be part of something bigger... Finn is drawn into it because he meets a girl he thinks is cute, and then that's it. He's just like, you know, he's just trying to, he doesn't want to look bad in front of in front of a girl he just met. I think it's playing on two different levels in that the movie is sort of setting it up like he is our new Luke Skywalker. He mm-hmm. is our new everyman hero, and I think he kind of wants to be once he meets her. You're right, once he meets her, he grabs her hand to take her out of danger. He mm-hmm. convinces Han and the others to go rescue her. I think he has this sense of himself, like part of his redemption for what he did with the First Order is that he is going to be the hero of this story. He is going to be right. the savior. But really, he's not. It's not his right. journey. He is sort of, he's kind of an instrument of the plot. It's sort of my one, my mm-hmm. one criticism of his character is he changes so readily, it just sort of just to sort of service whatever the story needs him to be. Right. Is is he a badass soldier, an elite stormtrooper? Or is he kind of bungling comic relief who doesn't know how to fire a weapon? Well, he's, he, he, I was going to say, he's, he exhibits combat skills because he has all of that training. He doesn't use it in the beginning because he can't. He mm-hmm. just decides. It's, it's, but when, when he's put into a situation where he has to fight, he fights really well. Mm-hmm. Although that one dude did thump him pretty good. <laughs> what is that guy's name? Uh, TR8 or something? TR8R? TR8R, the sort of 
traitor because that's what he shouts. That uh, the character, and this is me with a little bit of more geek knowledge. The character actually is designated FN two zero nine nine, and ah. I know that because he was in one of the uh, like before the Awakening books that came out around the time. But uh, <laughs> they, yeah, they trained together. That's why he was able to recognize him. But yeah, I mean, yeah, and Finn gets to fight with a lightsaber twice, loses mm-hmm. both fights. I don't think he is Force-sensitive, and I don't want him to be. Um, <laughs> mostly because I'm racist. No, no, that's not what it is. At all. Um, no, I, I don't want him to be. I just want... I don't know. I, because then you open the thing where, well, okay, is every main character going to be Force-sensitive? I, right. want, I want him to have a different journey. And that's another thing. Like When, when we leave him at the end of this movie, like if he had died at the end, like if Kylo Ren had killed him when they're fighting in the snow... Mm-hmm. I would have missed him because I enjoyed his character. He was great. He was funny. He was charming. He was likable. But I also, I just, I don't know where Finn goes from here. And a friend of mine pointed this out that it's sort of, he's kind of in a similar position as Han Solo at the end Mm -hmm. of the first Star Wars movie. Yes, he has done something great for the rebellion, but does he belong there? Does Finn belong with the resistance or are we just going to see him stay there because he has nowhere else to go? Right. He's not a pilot, so he's not going to join Poe Dameron's X-Wing squadron unless they develop a new ship that has like two-seater capabilities and he can he can be the gunner. But maybe he'll like lead their <laughs> army corps. Maybe he'll be Princess Leia's bodyguard. I mean, they can do other stuff with him. I just he's he's kind of the blank slate. I have no idea where he fits in the future of the franchise. Right, and and it's interesting too because yes, he does have a little bit of a Han Solo vibe in that he is the guy who's not committed to this cause. He's he gets into it for the people he meets, uh, and that's that's what keeps Han yeah. there. The yeah. reason he comes back is not because he gives a damn about the rebellion, but because he actually cares about Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. And Finn is is he's got that same sort of thing going on. You know, it's funny though, like you said, if they had killed him off, you would miss him. But he didn't seem like he was going to be instrumental. And and back. Before they got to make The Empire Strikes Back, I don't know if you've ever read the the novel Splinter of the Mind's Eye. The, that was actually originally written as a screenplay or a story treatment for a screenplay to be used in the event that Star Wars tanked. Mm-hmm. And Lucas wanted to have that on deck to use as uh, a storyline for a low-budget sequel right. to Star Wars. And you notice Han Solo and Chewbacca aren't even in the thing. No, they're just that they're, they're they were considered unimportant in, yep. in that. And and I find that really bizarre when you think about how important Han Solo becomes in you know Empire Strikes Back. It's it's you know he's you've got two different journeys going on. You got Luke's thing and you've got Han Han and Leia's thing. But Han is just like really driving the story mm-hmm. in the Empire Strikes Back and driving Luke's story at the same time too. So, you know, I don't know what's up for, for Finn in the future. I, I assume he'll come out of his coma. And I, I don't know what, what they'll do. I assume some time will have passed. We'll probably come in on Ray already training with Luke or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and presumably Finn will come out of his coma and want to know where Ray went. Right. All right. Um, BB-8. <laughs> BB-8. <laughs> for marketing purposes, for, I mean, story and structure purposes, the new R2-D2 certainly more mobile. What did you think of BB-8? I like BB-8 just fine. He's adorable. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a cool-looking little robot. 
I thought that his, you know, the parts where he interacted with everybody was really cool. Um, you know, like the whole thing where he and Finn are negotiating over whether or not he's going to tell <laughs> Finn how to get to the base or yeah. tell Ray how to get to the base. You kind of hit it on the head when you said the new R2-D2. The thing is, he is so R2-D2 that they basically just had to keep R2-D2 out of the movie. Yeah. So that he wasn't redundant. And I, I don't dislike BB-8 at all. I'm fine with BB-8. I'm fine with there being more than one character like that. Uh, it's just that, you know, obviously he's supposed to be the R2-D2 for this group of newbies, but it's just it's just like a little, he seems a little superfluous if you have R2-D2 in there at all. Or vice versa. Yeah, it struck me as like, did R2-D2 and C-3PO need to be in this movie, or were they just there because it's a Star Wars movie and we're conditioned to look for them in a Star Wars movie? Right. I don't understand why R2-D2 wasn't just with Luke. I, I, I assume it's because Luke needed him there to show everybody how to right. get to Luke if a certain number of highly unlikely circumstances all came together. Right. I don't know. From the first teaser that came out when we got our shot of BB-8, I thought it looked CG. I thought it looked fake. I <laughs> thought I was going to hate this idea. And then at, it was like Star Wars Celebration. They rolled him out on the stage, and they showed that, yeah, we made a practical version of this thing. It can roll. It can interact. It's, we had a practical version of this droid that was working mm-hmm. with the actress. I was like, okay, now I'm changing my tune about this. Right. And once I see him, it's like, oh, he's so cute. He's like a little pet. It's, it's the baby version of R2. It's, he was funny. He was spunky. He had personality. Uh, you could almost understand what he was saying a lot of the time. So it was, mm-hmm. I, I thought they did a really good job. The thumbs up with the lighter, the mm-hmm. pilot light on the torch was awesome. That was, uh, yeah. I, I don't. Too much? No, no, no. no. <laughs> so this is the thing. Like, and I've heard other people question this too. The first time I saw the movie, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because I was pissed off at the people sitting behind me because they were really annoying and I was in a, a little bit of a bad mood. The first time I saw that, when Finn gives him the thumbs up, Mm-hmm. And BB-8 does the gesture. I read it in my mind. I read it as BB-8 giving him the finger, <laughs> and that's why I laughed at it. And I, like I would go on, like, like everybody's like, "Oh yeah, he gave the thumbs up." I was like, "Is that what he was doing? Did I completely get that wrong?" But I've talked to other people, and they're like, "No, yeah, he was giving him the finger." I was like, "Wait, how? <laughs> wait, that's, those are two completely different ideas." <laughs> so, I, I saw it as a thumbs up, but and, uh, and I think the finger the finger's funny. I think it was supposed to be a thumbs up. I think I've changed my mind. It was I was misreading it the first time for some reason. <laughs> but, uh, okay, the actual main character, the protagonist of this movie, Ray. For a lot of people, if they weren't really keyed into what this movie was about, I think she surprised a lot of people in her character arc and who she was mm-hmm. and what she became. Um, mm-hmm. For me personally, Daisy Ridley, who had never done a film before, blew me away. I, I mm-hmm. think the character is terrific. I think the actress is terrific. I like Ray. Ray is a very likable and relatable character. Uh, I, I think she is absolutely like, you know, I, I don't know how they stumbled across that kid, but that she, she, she works that part. And uh, I think she's interesting. I think it's uh, she, she's got a lot of that going on with the whole she doesn't want to leave because she's afraid she'll miss her family if they come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's that's tragic and sad and something we can all kind of understand. She's she's somewhere between Luke Skywalker and Annie, you know, <laughs> in that in that respect. Although we did see and, uh, you know, she's she had it hidden in her, the idea that she had actually seen her family blow up. And 
hey, are you going to you going to say that that you don't think that's what that is? And uh, that's fine. I think that's what we saw is family ship blow up when she has her flashback when she touches the lightsaber. I don't know about that. I'm not sure. It could be open because, you know, yeah. you never know what they're going to whip out at you in the next couple of films. To right. And they probably know they're revising and they're changing things. Yes. Everybody is assuming that there is a mystery about her identity <laughs> because that's what we expect in this type of movie. Right. It's very possible that there's nothing mysterious about her. It's very mm-hmm. possible that we know everything we need to know or are going to know about who she is. Right. Um, but everybody's just like, no, she's got to be related to somebody. Her parents could be inconsequential for all we know. My hope is that she is not related to anybody that we know. That she was just a random person that the Force reached out to and and blossomed within because the Force needed somebody and needed a new champion in the absence of Luke Skywalker. That is my hope. Short of that, if she has to be related to somebody, my theory is that she's Obi-Wan Kenobi's granddaughter. I think she was conceived by Metachlorians. Stop it. I'm going to hang up right now. (laughs) (laughs) She's Jar Jar's kid. It's, uh, it's... I I really like the character. I like how humble she is at the beginning and how... I mean, I know a lot of the criticism were like, she's too perfect. She's too good at everything. She's a good climber. She's good at fighting. She's She's good at flying. She's not good at everything. But I'm okay if she is really good at everything because that's part of this fantasy environment. And the people who call her like a Mary Sue, they're like, oh, they were just creating this too perfect character to be their lead character. It's not realistic. It's like... Okay, like it, talking about a Mary Sue in the in terms of the author putting projecting their own self into the character. George right. Lucas, Lucas made the hero right. of his saga, Luke Skywalker. Right. It's like, it's like really, that's if we're going to talk a, about a Mary Sue character. He's a he's a gearhead who lives in a nowhere town, and mm. all he knows how to do with his friends is drag race. And uh, yeah, he's he's George Lucas. Yeah. He's not. He's not. It, no, she's not a Mary Sue by the actual definition of Mary Sue. She's not Wesley Crusher. Yeah. She's not the only thing that's going to save the day every week on Star Wars or something. She's mm. she's like she just happens to be really good at some things. Right. You know, and that comes from a life of self-reliance, I assume. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, she's, she's a tough person right. who's had, like, family for herself since she was apparently five. And is she stronger naturally in the Force than Luke Skywalker was at that age, or that Kylo Ren is? Yeah, she seems to be. I mm-hmm. also don't have a problem with that. Mm-mm. Again, I think, like, the Force, she woke up, or the Force is awakening in her because... It needs her to be. It needs the for. I, I think the force needs a champion. I get the impression that she has uh, a great deal of raw force energy in her, but I also get the impression that, like when she's fighting Kylo Ren with the lightsaber, and he says something to her that reminds her about being calm, mm-hmm. and you know, because he's trying to taunt her into like unleashing everything and coming with him and learning, you know, how to cut loose and she stops and does like a breathing exercise and Mm -hmm. kicks his ass yeah and i think that from the little tiny snips of confusing stuff we saw i assume she might have been a student of luke's maybe as a small child i don't know for sure but i think that from what i'm seeing my best guess is that She's one of the few people who didn't get cut down when the Knights of Ren showed up and slew everybody. 
and that she was stashed away for her own protection. But I think she may have had some sort of rudimentary training as a small child that she's kind of forgotten over the last, you know, 15 years. That scene with when she kind of calms down and sort of reasserts mm-hmm. herself, I took that as her remembering what Maz Kanata told her in the basement yeah. of her castle. And I was actually kind of surprised that we didn't get a voiceover from Maz Kanata the way we would have gotten one from Obi-Wan in the original trilogy. But yeah, oh, and when, when the lightsaber flies through the air and, and Ray catches it, hands down, my favorite moment in the movie. Absolutely. So. All right, next character, General Hux. <laughs> um, he's, um, he's one of the Weasley boys. He is. He's the red-headed bastard Tarkin... Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny. I think I think this speaks volumes um, that until you brought him up, I'd forgotten he existed. <laughs> I wanted to like him because I like that type of character. I mm-hmm. like the bad guy who is not a Sith Lord or Dark Jedi, who's just mm-hmm. an officer in the military who has that commanding presence, who is, again, sort of fanatical and a sort of young Hitler guy. I mean, he gets the Hitler speech and everything. Right. But it was just, he played it so over the top, and it also wasn't really well written. He he does too much running to Snoke to tell on Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. The thing about Tarkin, you know, he is he is our Tarkin, uh, our Tarkin surrogate in this film. Uh, but the thing about Tarkin is, my goodness, you know, Darth Vader, you don't know anything about any of these characters when you see the original film. Right. Darth Vader is clearly a scary, scary bad man that people are terrified to mess with. But when Grand Moff Tarkin says jump, Darth Vader says how high. You know, he is. I mean, Princess Leia makes that crack about uh, about Tarkin holding Vader's leash. And it's true. Darth Vader, even if it's just out of respect for the position, Darth Vader actually does... You know, he heals when when Tarkin says heal, and that makes Tarkin just seem so much scarier after the fact. Uh, This is the man who tells Darth Vader what to do. I mean, obviously the Emperor gives Darth Vader whatever orders the Emperor sees fit, but when the Emperor's not there to call the shots, Vader answers to Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, Hux, Hux has none of that. Maybe, Maybe he's supposed to give us an idea of how pathetic the First Order might be at its core. Maybe. I mean, we're seeing them in a different kind of relationship. I mean, we never saw Tarkin and the Emperor in the same scene. Right. We uh, So we didn't have to see anybody above Tarkin uh, to have him be subservient to anybody. In right. this case, we're getting a kind of different relationship, but I just... I like the dynamic that they're trying to assert that Hux and Kylo Ren are both like friends or like brothers who are trying to curry favor with their dad, who are trying to like be the favored son, and they mm-hmm. have this kind of competitive rivalry. I like that element. It does show a, a much more immature sense of who this evil government is that they're, they're trying mm-hmm. to – and I like that, but it's – Ah, I just didn't like the actor. I didn't like the performance. He annoyed me. Yeah. So, then let us move on to Poe Dameron, the best fighter pilot in the Resistance, as he is known. Black Leader is his call sign, but he doesn't have Black Squadron. He's just sort of the the all-purpose leader of whatever X-Wing groups they have. Poe is uh, is just instantly likable. Oscar... uh... 
uh, Isaac is just, you know, he's a he's a magnetic guy. I think he's great. I think that uh, it is funny how quickly Poe and uh, Finn are just like bonded in two seconds. Um, and I know it's a Star Wars movie and we're just trying to get things going or whatever, but it's just like, hey, we're best friends now. You know, Poe Dameron, from what we saw of him, I liked him really well. I'm interested to find out how he actually made it back to the base on his own. Yeah, um, I don't know how much of that they actually shot. There was right. There was definitely supposed to be something in the script that they changed, because as I understand it, the character was originally written to die when the TIE fighter crashes, mm-hmm. but they just liked Oscar Isaac so much when they cast him. They're like, okay, let's do, <laughs> let's do more with this character. And that kind of, they, they beefed up the character a little bit more. I, I mean, this is a character that if another actor played him, a less charismatic, less interesting actor, mm-hmm. I don't know if he would have left as much of a mark. Because... Aside from rescuing Finn, aside from that scene together, we see him in some battle sequences, but he's really just calling out the same sort of generic words that we heard people calling out during the Battle of Endor and the Battle of, uh, of Yavin during the first Death Star. It's, we don't get much of his character no. after, after those first couple scenes. So, And honestly, yeah, if you, if you stop and think about it, the beginning of the movie is really the meat of his role, not just the part where Finn springs him and they like, you know, become fast friends and take off. But the fact is the movie opens on Poe Dameron up to some espionage. Mm-hmm. And uh, that to me makes him a lot more interesting than, you know, I mean, if he's just black leader all the time, he might as well be wedge Antilles. Right. Um, and so, you know, he's got the potential to be, in on the cloak and dagger running around the galaxy, like, you know, hanging out in dive bars, trying to pull something off kind of plots that really, you know, I don't know. Those always strike a chord with me. Yeah, um, no, I definitely agree. I, I, I want to see more of him and Finn together. I thought they mm-hmm. had great chemistry. Mm-hmm. It was an instant bond. And did they become friends too quickly? Yeah, probably they did. But I never saw that kind of friendship between Obi-Wan and Anakin in the prequels. <laughs> no, never, no. they in three they, movies. I never thought that they were close. So I want to see, I want to see that bromance. The right. Finn and Poe like, group, them, them doing their own thing while Rey is training, or the three of them together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, know it's, I know it's become kind of a joke almost, but I mean, honestly, you know, we don't know. It, it could very well shape up to be a love triangle. It could very um, well. <laughs> you know, Finn, Finn has a thing for Ray. Poe has a thing for Finn. Does Ray have a thing for Poe? I don't know. You know, we're going to end up all yeah, over the place. They don't have any scenes together, I don't think. No. Yeah, it would be, it'd be interesting. Say, I didn't see the Han and Leia thing coming when I was a kid, so, you know. Good point. <laughs> That's a good point. Um... Captain Phasma. Captain Phasma. I went into this movie thinking that she was going to be my favorite character. <laughs> because as soon as I saw like the look of her costume, I was like, that is incredible. She is going to be the new Boba Fett. Like mm-hmm. Kylo Ren is going to be the new Darth Vader for the marketing or merchandising standpoint, and that he's like the Dark Jedi. She is going to be the new Boba Fett in terms of like she's like the cool soldier with the mysterious mask and the half cape and the rifle, and it's like as much as you put Boba Fett on T-shirts and tattoos, they're going to do the same thing with Phasma. And I watched the movie, and I was like, okay, she's a lot more like Boba Fett because she didn't really accomplish a whole lot within this movie. <laughs> it's a lot of flash and not a lot of substance. 
like you, I uh, hey, when I saw Captain Phasma in the trailers and the promos, and you know, and uh, I thought somehow, you know, she was going to be working directly for Kylo Ren. He was going to be calling the shots of some kind of new or first order hit squad or something, and she was going to be his like you know right hand commando whatever. She has nothing to do in this movie. Nope. And and again, you know, not to like thump it or whatever, but the whole idea, like I said, that this the Hux sort of feels to me, you know, the way Hux sort of felt to me, like like maybe he was showing uh, showing at the seams a little bit that the First Order is really nowhere near what the Empire had been, you know, that, that they're like a, a pale, pale imitation. Here's like the scariest, baddest officer they have – we're led to believe, or it's it's kind of implied by her early parts where she's scaring Finn to death that she's going to find out. And, and she just, like, puts in the code to deactivate uh, the, the shield generator. You know, she doesn't even try to go down fighting. She doesn't, like, I mean, they're standing around talking. She could have, like, put in an alarm. She could have punched somebody. Nothing. And then they just leave her in a trash compactor. I, I, you know, and I know she's in the next film, and that's great uh, because maybe she'll get to do something and make that uniform worth it. She has so much potential, and like Boba Fett, it's unrealized at this point. They've got to do something really special with her in the next one, I think, to mm-hmm. make up for this because it was so much wasted potential this time around that I think it it hurts again, like turning off the shields and everything. That really hurts my estimation of the character. To the point where I think they should have done two things with the character. Either they should have not used her and just saved her for the next movie, because they could have had anybody else do that. Or she should have been that TR-8R outside of Maskinata's castle. It should have been her calling Finn a traitor. She recognizes him, because they already had that scene together before. And she has the fight with him with the lightsaber, and, and she uses that weird stun baton thing. Because then they, she actually has a purpose. They have a fight scene. And that right. Stormtrooper beats Finn. Finn is on his back. So you could have had her win that fight and then get blown away by Chewbacca's bowcaster. Right. And that could have been it. And, and okay, so she's in two scenes and she gets killed. It doesn't matter. She still had her badass hero moment of winning that fight. And that's more than a whole lot of other characters get, and they don't have action figures. So I'd like to see her in the next two films... You know, we've we've already found her as sort of a Boba Fett analog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to see her like on a personal mission to track down FN two one eight seven. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe that's her thing. Maybe she's obsessed. He's her white whale. She needs to find that guy who betrayed the First Order and humiliated her by mm-hmm. putting her in a trash compactor. I think that could be cool. And maybe maybe she's disgraced. Maybe she's not in the First Order anymore. She's right. got her own little Jenna. I don't know. That seems like the logical place to go because she mm-hmm. has that personal vendetta. So hopefully they'll play that out. So. Eighth character, Supreme Leader Snoke. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a character I have a lot of questions and not a lot of feelings about. Right. Um, at first, like when they showed that it was a hologram, mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed. Okay, so my first impression was that I, I, I was relieved. Yeah, I, I, I was too because I didn't like the CGI. I didn't like mm-hmm. the look of the character after they had done so much with the practical effects. I was like, this looks awful. Uh, mm-hmm. And then showing that it was a hologram, I was like, okay, that's a better excuse. Although. I wish the hologram looked more like the holograms from the classic trilogy, where it was degraded. Right. But 
I do hope he is actually that big because I think that would be funny. <laughs> As sort of the anti Yoda, Yoda was so spe- so special because it was so small. I have a feeling he will be more of a human sized if he isn't yeah. a, a human. In fact, clearly he's not like a secret like Phantom Menace type thing. They know who he is. Leia references mm-hmm. him. She knows that Snoke is the one who turned her son to the dark side. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I, uh, personally, I hope he's normal sized. I, I uh, that's why I said I was relieved when when mm-hmm. it flickered and he was a hologram. Not that that means necessarily that he's not gigantic, but I. I took it as sort of a Wizard of Oz kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, making yourself look more impressive with right. a 20-foot version of you. <laughs> is he human? I think he's human and just horribly old and disfigured. Yeah, that was the impression I got, too. Clearly, he's a corrupter. Uh, he seems to That seems to be his shtick. He likes to, you know, uh, get his hooks in someone and, and persuade them. I assume he uses the force a little bit to do a little uh, mind bleepery as he goes. I don't know. Like you said, more questions than anything with Snoke. I wasn't real excited by him. He didn't have a whole lot going on. I Again, like you said, the CGI, and that'll come up, I think, again here in a minute uh, with, I think, your other character mm-hmm. that you're going to discuss. I have to say I was a little disappointed with the couple of CGI characters that we had, partly just because they were CGI. Yeah. Um, but also partly because the CGI just didn't sell it for me. Um, the film is wonderful in that it has so many practical effects. In BB-8, there's a working BB-8. There's a puppet, like several puppets. Mm. At my feeling, especially when it comes to Star Wars, is never send a computer to do a Muppet's job. <laughs> And, you know, people laugh. People people pick on, like, you know, Return of the Jedi, the original edit of Return of the Jedi, for having so many Muppets. And, you know, and it's always just like, Muppets. Here's the thing about the Muppets, though. When you have the Henson Workshop making practical, physical things, they are already correctly lit mm-hmm. and shadowed. Right. And a lot of the things in... The special edition add-ons, a lot of things in the prequel trilogy, and to a lesser extent, the couple of CGI characters we have in this film, they don't always convince you that they're there or that they're real because, and, you know, God bless these animators, they have a lot of skill, I'm not cutting on their work, but something's not quite right. Uh, because you just you know it when you see it. It's like it's like the old blue screen outline, you know, when you're watching a movie and, and like Hans Gruber falls to his death <laughs> at the end of Die Hard. You know what I'm saying? Or Mola Ram falls off of that bridge in Temple of Doom. You know it's fake. And growing up with it, it's less jarring to you, you know, when you see it all the time. Just like I'm sure Ray Harryhausen movies were like mind blowing in the '60s. <laughs> I still love them. But, uh, you know, you're like, yeah, stop motion, you know, but, <laughs> but the CGI just sticks out like a sore thumb. I will take puppet size noodles in the band over Ugh. the CGI one any day. Gosh, I hate that other, that other, oh, I hate the little fuzzball guy too yeah. in, in that, but I hate that other longer version of Lopty Neck and yeah. that other, that other number. Ugh. Awful. Uh, which brings me to the last character on my list that you sort of alluded to, Maz Kanata. My first impression going into the movie, at first I thought, what a disappointment, because 
you cast Lupita Nyong'o to do the voice <laughs> and the the visual motion capture for this character. Lupita Nyong'o is gorgeous, and Maz Kanata, not that much, um, unless <laughs> unless that's your thing, and it might be. So I was a little bit disappointed by that, but I mean, I've seen the movie a number of times. This character really grew on me fast. And I get, like, the first time I saw it, I saw it in a crappy theater. I thought the CGI looked horrible. Mm-hmm. But I saw it later in better theaters, better quality, and the CGI didn't bother me. I didn't think it was great, but it didn't mm-hmm. bother me on better theaters. Right. So, I mean, the character is very much supposed to be a new Yoda type dispensing pearls of wisdom. Mm-hmm. But she is still very different from Yoda. I like forgetting the prequel trilogy, like my, mm-hmm. my headcanon, what I pictured of Yoda, even during the height of the old Jedi order, mm-hmm. Yoda always seemed to me somebody who would live a reclusive lifestyle. If he right. wasn't hiding in a swamp, then he would have been in a temple on top of a mountain that you had to climb 10,000 steps to get to. Right. Like an old like master in a Kung Fu movie or something. It was, and he was always going to be sort of that old hermetic thing. Maskinata's not like that. Maskinata surrounds herself with people. She was right. a pirate captain. She opens this bar. She's sociable. She's likable. And she's just got that kind of like old woman sensibility to her that I just, uh, I really like this character. So what did you think of Maz? Well, I'm, I'm torn. I like the character okay. I don't dislike her. She's got she's got several different things kind of jumbled together going on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she, <laughs> I laugh every time I see there's a meme out there where they uh, they put her uh, side by side with Sophia from the Golden Girls. Um, <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, uh, but you know, in some ways, she reminds me of not to cross the streams yet again tonight, but uh, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan on Star Trek: The Next Generation. She's got a little bit of that—the alien bartender who always knows more than everybody else thing going on. Mm-hmm. It is a seedy dive bar with kind of a Casablanca or Tales of a Gold Monkey kind of feel going on yep. with it. Yep, visually. Apart from the fact that the CGI was a little clunky. And yeah, I, I understand. I saw it three times, and, and it did look better the second time. Not the third. The third I saw it in like a movie tavern place where you eat and everything's lit at the table. And blah. Anyway, the, the thing is, like, the CGI is hit and miss. She's okay. You know, the thing is, visually, both Maz Kanata and the denizens of her place, okay, they're very Muppety, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but they're not Muppety... I feel like whoever designed these creatures for Maz Kanata's uh, palace uh, really, really was into the Dark Crystal. They have yeah. a very Freudian kind of look to it. She even reminds me of like those like Peapod people. I can see it. And and that didn't like you know it didn't upset me. It didn't like you know, but it, it was kind of peculiar to me because I was thinking, well, these are Muppets from around the same time, but they're the wrong Muppets. But that said, she she didn't she didn't bother me. I thought she was a great character. I liked her as I, I guess I guess you could say I liked her as a person, but it just kind of like rubbed me a little bit the wrong way that she was so obviously not there. I can hear um, I can I can see that, and I've I've heard other people say the same thing. And I actually, I don't know how much of her performance was completely CGI versus like a a smaller actor actress with the face mo captured on. Right. Um. I I bought into the magic of that character of that of what that character was supposed to do for the story. Mm-hmm. So I really liked it. And 
I have no idea if we will see her again. I, I kind of assume that she will be back in the next movie or two. Right. I'm also... I don't know if we need to because we've got Luke. So what do we need her for? Right, <laughs> right. Um, well, and like you said, I mean Yoda. Yoda's clearly like at least if you just push the prequel trilogy out of the room for the moment, mm-hmm. Yoda's a very spiritual being. Right. And Maz Kanata has that same thing going on. She has a different background, mm-hmm. but she's apparently like you know enlightened on some level. Right. Um, you know, part of it's just life experience since she's like, what, thousands of years old or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's on a higher plane of existence and she also makes a mean martini. <laughs> and I like that we finally get a character who is powerful in the force, but isn't wearing the Jedi robes. That <laughs> isn't right. in that same sort of mentality, that same philosophy that she does come from a different perspective. Well, we needed a break. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, you know, Return of the or the the first three films, the original trilogy, the Force is so unusual that it makes it special. Mm-hmm. Darth Vader is special. Luke Skywalker is special, and you're drawn to that specialness about them. You know, what is his destiny? Where is this going? Could I do that? You know, when you see the prequel trilogy, it's just so lousy with Jedi. And it's just nothing but lightsabers flying left and right all the time to the point where it's just kind of, they're cheapened a little bit. They're Mm -hmm. too common. And I like that this has taken it back to the idea that they're unusual or special. Even even taking as a premise that Luke started some new sort of Jedi training center and, uh, you know, and and continued with like Jedi adult education on nights and weekends or whatever – They've all been wiped out again. (laughs) And so we're down to, like, Luke, who's nobody knows where he is, Ray, who nobody knew was out there, and Kylo Ren, and nobody knows what he's thinking. (laughs) And I think that redoes it. And then we got Maz Kanata, who seems to be Force-sensitive in one way or another. She's not not a Jedi. Mm -hmm. She's not a Jedi. She's not, you know, an adept. But she knows the Force. Mm Mm-hmm. She feels it. She just doesn't have any power over it, as near as we can tell. And maybe that sort of allowed her to hide in plain sight all this time. Mm-hmm. But, um, anyway, those are all the characters that I had. Was Was there anybody else that you wanted to add to the list? Like, Well, Sarko Plank. <laughs> I think we need to talk about Sarko Plank. Another yeah. peg warmer. Another action He's... figure, another character who got like a book devoted to him. And speaking of uh, pegs, whatever that thing is that Simon Pegg plays that hands out that green gook. Unkar Plutt. The, uh, Unkar Plutt, yes. The, the sort of Miss Fagin of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> oh, you know what, though? Um, and this is not... I just, just want to touch on this, and then we'll get to our mm-hmm. five thing. I mean, what's up with those crazy like Blade Runner street gangs <laughs> that come knocking at Han Solo's door? I don't want to talk about that right now. That's my least favorite part of the movie. <laughs> those, those one dudes, like I said, they look like they look like uh, some sort of vicious Asian street gang from Blade Runner. Those yeah. one guys, and then the other guys look like extras from Batman Beyond, with a soccer hooligan as their leader. Yes, yes, a soccer hooligan as their leader. Uh, <laughs> Simon Pegg's younger brother needed something to do. <laughs> Okay, well, we've talked about the characters now. Let's rank them for our top five 
out of nine. So really, bottom four, just missed out. Um, but before we even get into our top five, do you have one who you can specifically single out as your least favorite new character? Uh, Hux. Yeah. I'm going to go with Hux. <laughs> Hux too. is my least favorite new character. It's by a mile. It's not even close. And and I'm not I'm not anti ginger, you know. I, I know a lot of people would dislike him just because he's a ginger, and that that isn't even a factor here. He's just. Eh. All right, top five. Who is your number five? Oh, let's see, number five. I'm going to go with BB-8. All right, for number five on my list, I'm going with Finn. I like mm. him, but I have enough questions about his future that he's he's my number five. Uh, who is your number four? Number four, I'm gonna go with uh, Poe. I I, uh, I like Poe quite a bit, but he didn't have much to do. I'm waiting to see where he goes. All right, my number four is BB-8. <laughs> so, uh, who's your number three? My number three is Finn. Okay. I'm more enamored of Finn, I think, than than you are, and that's I'm just saying. I I I, I dig Finn, and I look forward to seeing more out of Finn. I do too. I just think it's just a matter of degrees. So right, right. right. Uh, my number three is we just talked about her, Maz Kanata. So <laughs> she really impressed me over the course of seeing the movie multiple times. Uh, who is your number two? Number two, I'm going with Kylo Ren. I again, I think he's fantastic for all the reasons we talked about. I am thrilled that he is a Darth Vader-like character who is so not Darth Vader. And I think that was a fantastic way to handle it. And I really look forward to seeing where his uh, twisted logic and emotional torment takes us next time. I have the exact same number two. So, and I have a feeling our number <laughs> ones will probably be the same. As well. For number one. Uh, I think we both have Ray. Yep. Is that right? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Mine is Zuvio. Zuvio <laughs> is my number one. Um, no, Ray. I, I got to go with Ray uh, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just, she's the hero. Um, she's the it girl. She's got the whole... The, you know the whole the whole movie is revolving around her and and it's not making a mistake to do so and that feels very refreshing almost quaint the fact that our favorite characters are the main characters they really did a great job of making the stars likable your three favorite characters are the three main characters in the movie outside of han solo right so i think that's a great job, because even if you go back to the first one, I bet more than half the people you ask would say their favorite character was Han Solo, not Luke. Right. Yeah, and Han time, Solo, it wasn't necessarily even, you know, yeah. he, he, he may not have been intended to stick around. Right. They did a great job of making these two, like Ray, Kylo Ren, and Finn, and BB-8, all of these great... I mean, for my five... Poe Dameron just barely misses out. He would have been my six. And then, like, all the other villains really... I mean, Kylo Ren was really the only bad guy who really impressed me, and he really impressed me. Mm-hmm. The others I either didn't like or they've just... They've got to give me more in the, in yeah. the future. Phasma gets honorable mention for fashion sense. That's about it. <laughs> she does. She wears that suit. So. All right. Well, Aaron, I think that is going to wrap up our discussion on the new characters. But before you go... I have the galactic questionnaire for every guest on Give Me Those Star Wars. <laughs> oh, no. Question number one. Would you rather drive Luke Skywalker's land speeder from Star Wars A New Hope or mm-hmm. Rey's speeder from The Force Awakens? Oh, definitely Luke's, definitely Luke's land speeder. It's, uh, it's got room for, like, you know, 
You can have somebody ride shotgun. You can strap a couple of droids to it. <laughs> Much better. And it's uh, it's got kind of a 70s muscle car vibe uh, that I dig much better than Ray's, like, fudgesicle. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Classic Imperial Stormtrooper or First Order Stormtrooper? Uh, I got to go classic again. Um, the First Order Stormtroopers. It's funny because the, the 70s style Stormtroopers were so much more ornate and the new ones are so much more streamlined. That without all those extra little cuts and doodads, the First Order Stormtroopers look fat. They look like big pandas. They're very roly-poly looking. <laughs> I think there's something sleek about them. They, they remind me of like iPhones. They're well, they like have Apple a sleek products. finish. <laughs> oh, no, and I see that. They're, they're very, and, and it makes sense, too, that things like change. You know, it's just like <laughs> looking at World War I uniforms versus World War II uniforms. But, but, yeah, there's just something about the way it's pulled off. They just have too much smooth white space, and everybody looks kind of round. Yeah. Question three: Would you rather have a lightsaber or Boba Fett's jetpack? No, I'm going to go with the lightsaber. I, you know, I, I like the I like the jetpack. I can see all kinds of problems with the jetpack. Not that I can't see all kinds of problems with the lightsaber, but darn it, I've wanted a lightsaber since I was five. I'm having a lightsaber. All right. Number four: Would you rather live on Tatooine or Dagobah? Ooh. That's a tough one. I don't like heat. Dagobah doesn't look particularly like less, you know, the, of course, Tatooine, it's a dry kind of heat, <laughs> like an oven. Oh, maybe Tatooine. Question five, not counting Boba Fett, who is the coolest <laughs> bounty hunter introduced in The Empire Strikes Back? Bosk. All right. Question six, would you rather go on a date with Princess Leia or Carrie Fisher? <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. Uh, Carrie Fisher would probably just be wasted. Um, Is that a deal breaker for you? It's, it, you know, I was never much of a dabbler. Uh, I ended up having to babysit a lot of people at parties in college. Things like people, you know, coming up to me going, all right, look, we've all dropped acid. We're just going to be sitting here watching the static on television. Can you just make sure nobody plays with knives? <laughs> So that's kind of a turnoff. At the same time, Princess Leia is kind of a stick in the mud. Um, ah, Carrie Fisher. All right. And finally, question seven. If you had the Force, would you be pulled to the light side or the dark side? No, I, I, the light side. Yeah, I, it's, it's not even a question. I would, I would be pulled to the light side. Good on you. <laughs> okay, Aaron, thank you very, very much for being on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you, Ryan. I'm glad we could uh, get together and do it. Happy Droid Day to you all! <laughs> Greetings, Cutie Pie Grumpy and the Little Eights. It's me, Constable Zuvio, the Constable of Jakku, of course. Before I go, I wanted to address some of the feedback I've gotten from the first two episodes of this show. First, I want to say that a lot of people have supported the show on Facebook and Twitter. Likes, retweets, favorites, shares, it all goes to spread the word about this podcast, and it is greatly appreciated by me, by my guests, and by everyone at the Fire & Water Network. Back in early February, just as this show was launching, I got an email from Michael Bradley. Michael is the host of the Superman and Batman podcast, as well as the Thrilling Adventures of Superman podcast, both of which can be found at greatcrypton.com. 
I highly recommend checking out Michael's podcasts. He's a great guy, extremely nice, extremely knowledgeable, and extremely nice. Yes, I know I said it twice, but he really is a nice guy. Michael's email says, With a renewed interest in that galaxy far, far away after seeing The Force Awakens, I spent the past two weeks binge-listening to Dead Bath and Spies on my commute to and from work. Okay, I fast-forwarded whenever Shag was talking, but I'm told that's standard listening procedure for any podcast. That it is, Michael. That it is indeed. Oh, and by the way, for any new listeners who might not be aware, Dead Bath and Spies is the name of my previous Star Wars-themed podcast. The show ended to make way for Give Me Those Star Wars, but you can still find it on iTunes. Back to Michael's email. Despite not growing up a Star Wars kid or ever getting much into the expanded universe, I still like Star Wars quite a bit and make it a point to do a watch-through of the original trilogy once a year or so. The Force Awakens left me excited about the entire universe. It probably isn't as much as someone who saw the originals when they were released, but it might be the closest I'll ever get to that. Having heard many good things, I picked up several trades of the new Marvel stuff, and I'm about to dive feet first into the new expanded universe to maintain my Star Wars fix. But in the meantime, Dead Bath and Spies has been a fun way to hold over. It was fun hearing the excitement for, build up to, and seven speculations on Episode 7 after the fact. I enjoyed hearing the memories of the original trilogy, the next-to-last episode of the show was my favorite, and I liked hearing the talk about the extended universe items you addressed. The show struck a nice balance between analysis, nerdity, and reminiscing. Well, that is roughly the balance I was going for, so achievement unlocked, I guess. I'm sorry Dead Bath and Spies had to come to an end, but I'm glad it's continuing with Give Me Those Star Wars. I've got the first episode on iTunes, and we'll give it a spin in the upcoming week. Keep up the good work, Michael. P.S. I didn't really skip over Shag's parts. Shag's a good guy. You should have him on the show more often. P.P.S. You know Shag will use that soundbite as a ringtone or something. Well, thank you very much for that email, Michael. I hope you do listen to this new show, and I hope you enjoy it as much or more than Dead Bath and Spies. As for having Shag on the show, well, it would mean breaking my New Year's resolution, but Shag has done me an enormous favor recently, like the I owe him my firstborn size favor, so he does have a standing invitation to appear on this podcast whenever he wants. Over on the Fire & Water website, Episode 1, that was the episode where Rob Kelly and I talked about the original Kenner toys, that episode received a couple of comments, mostly general congratulations about the great debut episode. I'm not going to read the comments, but they were all very encouraging. Except for Shag's comment, naturally. Shag posted a photo of his vintage Star Wars toy collection, which is both sizable and in great condition. Unlike Shag himself. Now, damn it, and I just said I owed him a favor. Anyway, comments for episode 2, that was the Lando Calrissian episode with Mike Gillis. Siskoid from the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast said, I read two of the Lando novels when I was a teenager, and they're probably more responsible for my interest in the character than the films themselves. I can't say I remember much from them, but my feeling was that they were kind of Indiana Jones in space, with super science artifacts, etc., yeah, I read the first Lando novel, and that's kind of what I said. Decent sci-fi adventure story, but it didn't feel like Star Wars to me. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast said, A whole episode on Lando, and not one Colt 45 joke to be heard? Amazing. Yeah, what can I say? We dropped the ball on that one. Rob Kelly from the Film and Water podcast said, Mike has put more thought into the Lando character than I have in 30-plus years. Now I really hope he shows up in episode 8. 
I'm assuming Rob means he hopes Lando shows up, not Mike Gillis, but hey, I'd be happy either way. The Irredeemable Shag from the Fire and Water podcast said, I've always loved Lando, but viewed him as a slightly altered Han Solo. Where Han was the scruffy-looking smuggler, Lando was the suave gambler. Beyond that, I imagine them fairly similarly. However, after listening to this thought-out analysis of his character, I'm surprised how differently they really are. Great job thinking through the character details. Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast said, I processed all my feelings about Lando between the ages of 2 and 16 between first viewing Empire and finally seeing Jedi. As an unsophisticated adolescent, I judged him by the responses of the trusted characters, Han's hostility and Chewie's violence. In Jedi, he's treated as one of the crew, and that was good enough for me at the time. Mostly, I just thought about Vader and Luke's relationship and who the hell Boba Fett was between movies. And finally, Jeff Nettleton left a lengthy comment. That's the only kind of comments he does leave. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, only part of it. He says, I'm looking forward to seeing The Force Awakens when it hits DVD. Despite what Mike said, some of us have no time over the holidays and could not see the movie. Plus, I hate modern theaters. So I have to wait for the home version. However, everything I have heard sounds exactly like the kind of thing I wanted in Star Wars sequels back when Empire was being written. My Star Wars Jones was filled by Alan Dean Foster and Archie Goodwin, with Carmine Infantino. It was the idea of more swashbuckling adventure, some capers and some daring do. Marvel and Splinter of the Mind's Eye filled that need until Lucas added to the story. Thus, I tend to enjoy the characters in an adventure more than the saga elements. That was what was missing in the prequels for me. Well, that and good writing. Criticisms of The Force Awakens being a retread of Star Wars in light of the prequels is a bit laughable. When I watched The Phantom Menace, I could tick off the Star Wars elements as they occurred, and recognize that this is likely how it would have played out in Lucas's earlier, and more boring, script drafts. Lucas lost that sense of fun that Star Wars had. It sounds like The Force Awakens has that. The Marvel comics had that. Dark Horse achieved that in some of their stuff. The books often managed that at various times. Lando is a great character for those types of adventures. I was very happy to see Timothy Zahn doing a new Star Wars book, and even more excited to see that it's a caper. I still haven't read it, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the book that Jeff refers to there is called Scoundrels, written by Timothy Zahn. It stars Han, Chewie, Lando, and a bunch of new characters in a sort of Ocean's Eleven heist story set in the Star Wars universe. I haven't read it yet, but it sounds pretty fun. Let me know when you finish it, Jeff. Once more, I want to thank everyone who wrote in or left a comment, and big thanks to everyone for promoting this show on social media like Facebook and Twitter. I also want to thank Aaron Bias for being my guest this episode. I hope you all had a good time, and if you have similar or contradictory opinions about the new characters from The Force Awakens, let us know. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this podcast can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.